Hello and welcome to the St. Emily's Podcast. I'm Rick Boddy. And I'm Charlie Reynard. So Charlie's a doctor working with us in Manchester and he's doing a PhD on some great things that will affect the way that we manage patients with suspected acute coronary syndromes in the emergency department. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting project that Charlie completed during an academic foundation programme. So that's during your first two years as a doctor, Mm -hmm. four months of research. And you completed an awful lot in those four months. Today we're going to be talking about an excellent paper that you were first author on, which is called... It's called Optimising Antiplatelet Utilisation in the Acute Care Setting, and it was kindly accepted by the EMJ. So we'll put the link on the website. I think this is a really interesting paper. I really enjoyed working on this project with Charlie, because it opens up some really interesting new questions for us about our practice in emergency medicine. And really, this is about how we handle uncertainty in our clinical practice, and is about how we make decisions under situations of uncertainty. So can you give us some examples, Charlie, of how we have to make decisions under the conditions of Mm. uncertainty? So in emergency medicine practice in the UK, we frequently treat things um, before we're certain they exist. Some examples of this is uh, when we consider someone may have sepsis. We start treating them before we have um, evidence from blood cultures, from blood results, because we fear uh, the end result of sepsis, uh, death, so much that we give them antibiotics. Another example of treating before we're certain of a diagnosis is with uh, DVTs and PEs. We may just have a D-dimer and a high Wells score, and then we start treating with low molecular weight heparin before we have had a scan, before we've proven that exists. And what we're doing there internally is we're making a judgment on the risk of a condition, the benefit of treatment versus the risk of treatment. And we're weighing all of this up in our mind and deciding whether or not it's beneficial for a patient to treat them at this point in time before we're certain. So we're already, each one of us, internally modelling, but just not explicitly, this uncertainty. That's right. And the problem with that approach is that it's a little subjective and Mm. possibly we are occasionally a little bit risk averse Mm -hmm. in that we believe that if there's a risk that a patient has a pulmonary embolism, then we should treat for it. Mm. But what we don't know is how the risks and benefits of treatment stack up in an objective way. And that's what we tried to do in this paper, to weigh those benefits objectively for patients with suspected acute coronary syndromes. Exactly, yeah. So we went about it in several stages. The first stage was we decided we needed to collect some data to inform any models. So we did a series of systematic reviews um, looking at the benefit of um, clopidogrel and aspirin and versus decagrilor and aspirin in acute coronary syndromes. We also then looked for a patient-centred measure of um, their preference for an outcome. It has a generic term called utility. And we looked at um, papers that, and research studies that had um, tried to quantify patient utility for each outcome that's relevant to acute coronary syndromes. And then we used that data to inform a decision tree model. Now, a decision tree model is a very simple uh, modelling exercise, and essentially you have a different branch for different possible outcomes. So one example of a branch would be a patient had ACS or did not have ACS, a patient had an antiplatelet therapy or did not, a patient had a bleed or did not, a patient went on to have a stroke or a death or did not. And you get this um, complicated branch-like structure that appears and fans out. 
Now, from our systematic reviews, we informed the likely probability of each path down these branches existing. And then for each path down the branches, we got a probability of that path occurring. And then on top of the probability, we used the patient utility, the patient preference for these individual outcomes on each branch to inform the different patient preference for different paths. And then we combined those two measures together, the probability and the patient preference utility, to come with a measure of net expected utility um, for each of these models at different risks of acute coronary syndromes. And so in the end, we came up with a model that showed us the different net expected utilities for each treatment strategy, the treatment strategies being ticagloran aspirin, clopidogrel aspirin and aspirin alone, at different risks of acute coronary syndromes. So it's a pretty complex concept, but in reality, all we've actually really done is worked out what the evidence tells us about the benefits and risks of each treatment, and then put that into a decision tree mm. to say, well, if we had a patient with ACS and we treated them with, let's say, ticagrelor and aspirin, then the probability of them getting a bad cardiovascular outcome is X, and the probability of them getting a bleed is Y. And then we make another branch and say, well, if the patient had an acute coronary syndrome and didn't get ticagrelor and aspirin, they got aspirin alone, then we work out the prob- same probabilities. Mm. And we do that for all the different options, whether the patient had ACS, didn't have ACS, had antiplatelets, didn't have antiplatelets. And based on those probabilities, we also then work out that utility by combining it with what the patients told us was important to them. Mm-hmm. So you get a value at the end, which is your utility. And the higher the value the better it is for patients. Yes, so one is someone in perfect health and zero is someone who has uh, died. And in reality, patients normally sit at 0.87 because of dodgy hips. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after all this uh, jiggery-pokery with the numbers and fantasy decision analyses, Monte Carlo simulations, etc., we came out with a magic figure, which told us that actually this is the point at which the probability of benefit with the different antiplatelet strategies exceeds the risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we'll link to the paper um, in the description of the podcast, but there's a very nice graph that shows an inflection point where the benefit of uh, ticagrelor outweighs the negative aspects of ticagrelor and is better than aspirin. And that inflection point is around 8%. So if the patient has uh, more than an 8% probability of ACS, what that means is that the risk of giving them treatment with antiplatelets, and that risk mainly is about bleeding, is lower than the benefit that you'd get from preventing cardiovascular outcomes. Exactly. and It was surprisingly clear-cut that, in fact, clopidogrel has no place here. It's more clopidogrel than clopidogrel. There's no point on our model where clopidogrel is beneficial over aspirin or ticagrelor is in our model at least is completely superseded yeah so that's i think the most important point from this research that we can take away for our practice right now is that we didn't identify any place for clopidogrel there's no point where the patient is sufficiently low risk that clopidogrel is good because if you're really low risk nothing was better and there's no point in between being low risk and high risk where clopidogrel would fit in once you exceeded 8% ticagrelor Mm, and aspirin were better so I guess the only place for clopidogrel would be in a situation where the cost of ticagrelor has to be taken into account 
but in the first world healthcare system where we've got access to those medications, it seems that ticagrelor would be a better option for the higher risk patients. Yes, that leads nicely on to the, what do we do with this model. So we've, what we've said is that any, any patient with a risk of ACS above 8% we believe should be treated with ticagrelor and aspirin. But what does that mean in reality for people listening now? I think it means that we need to do a little bit more work. I think, like I said, it means that, say, clopidogrel isn't something we would recommend, but more work in terms of we need to look at the cost. We need to see how many patients do we need to treat before this is cost-effective. And also we need to consider the benefit of waiting to become more informed over time. Um, Do we wait for a second troponin before treating? Is that beneficial? Yeah, well, that brings us on to an interesting point about how we calculate the probability so how do you know if the probability of ACS is at least 8% Mm. and what we did is we used Tmax this links very nicely with Tmax because the Tmax decision aid calculates the probability that every patient has ACS so your individual patient based on the information you enter the computer will spit out a probability for you and if that probability exceeds 8% based on the characteristics of the patient, then our research suggests that ticagrelor will be beneficial overall. The next challenge for us, though, is to try and update that model as we get more information because Tmax works on a single troponin at the time patients arrive in the emergency department. Now, that might be enough to rule out the need for ticagrelor in many patients, but we might start treatment with ticagrelor And then, of course, later on in the patient's journey, we get some more information from the second troponin or from imaging, and we need to update that probability Mm -hmm. and then perhaps change our minds about whether we're going to continue treatment with ticagrelor. Everyone wouldn't wouldn't get a year of ticagrelor treatment simply because their probability was over 8% when they first arrived in the ED. Mm, Yeah, so it's a concept of a dynamic risk prediction algorithm that can benefit by incorporating new data over time and creating a more refined probability. Yeah, and that would be really exciting, wouldn't it? Imagine, it's quite exciting now to be able to calculate the probability that a patient has ACS with the TMAX decision aid. But if there were models that would update that as the patient goes Mm. through their journey and then advises us what to do about treatment based on objective benefits and risks, well, that's quite exciting and uh, quite new for medicine. Mm. So watch this space. I hope you'll enjoy reading the paper. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We tried to explain a little bit about what the uh, research actually means because it's quite a complex concept if you read the paper. And uh, we'd be willing, of course, to take any questions you might have, get in touch with us via the blog, via the podcast, by email, by Twitter. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.